have your Bibles today, if you can open with me to Romans 13. If you're not, if you don't, the verses will be on the screen. And as you turn there, I wanted to say something I forgot just earlier. We um, had our meetings this week about our partnership with University Christian and just so thankful for that. Over the next month, so beginning next week, what we're going to do is we're going to take time each week to kind of give a different picture of and I hate using the word, but the, the changes that are coming to necessitate for the growth um, that we desire. So we're kind of be walking through what that looks like. And uh, as we are kind of going to be w- uh, working with an engineer and architect and those kind of things to um, get all the things done that we have to get done to be able to, Lord willing, start a, a campus here in August of 2022. So excited, but there is much work to do. So welcome to week 28 of our Romans series. So glad that you are here. And let me say this, um, just for warning today, today is going to be a doozy. Um, In the course of our study through the book of Romans, we've talked about the overall sin of man. We've talked about the depravity of mind that because of sin, God gives man over to their own depraved minds. We've talked about homosexuality. We've talked about mankind's invention of different forms of evil. We've looked at our ongoing struggle with sin and God's declaration that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. We've looked at predestination, at God's plan for Israel and the world. And then recently, we just got through hearing the call for us to place our lives on God's altar as living sacrifices and then live to bless those who mistreat us. So um, crazy to think about where Paul has taken us. And now today, seven verses that show how followers of Christ should think about and respond to government. It's almost like Paul wrote the letter to Romans in order to get me in trouble. It's kind of the way I'm thinking about it. I mean, it's like, Paul, could you not have just left this part out or that part out? It's almost like Paul just wants um, pastors 2,000 years removed from when he wrote it to stand in front of people and just um, get themselves in trouble for doing so. Uh, One theologian even said this, these seven verses have caused more unhappiness and misery in the Christian East and West than any other seven verses in the New Testament. Now, that might be a bit of an overstatement. I pray that it is. But this topic, the joining together of um, Christianity, the joining together of God and government, is definitely a a heavy, a heavy issue um, that affects the church in the world. And I want to remind us again of our responsibility as Christian citizens in the world that God has placed us. And when we think about the United States of America, when we think about where we live, let me just begin by stating an obvious, and maybe you might disagree, but this is just um, my thoughts. The, the fabric of our nation is unraveling. The ceiling is collapsing. The foundation is cracking. Division in our nation is ever widening. There are days that we read the headlines and we just assume that the light at the end of the tunnel has gone out completely. You know, we, we think about that way, and here's what we know. We know that God has indeed shed his grace upon our nation. We know God has done that, and we've not always responded to that grace the way we should. You know, we in this room are called to walk a thin line between being pilgrims in this world, so we're just passing through here, um, and being citizens of another world, citizens of, of heaven. And how we're called to to live in this thin line, even when chaos rules the day. So this morning, we're going to hear what the Bible says about government, how we're to interact with government, what that might look like in the days 
to come. And I, I know that there is an ongoing tension with many in this room when it comes to government and when it comes to us as citizens. But let me begin by saying this. Having authority is better than the alternative. Having authority over us is better than the alternative. In the words of Richard Halverson, he was a Presbyterian pastor who was actually in the early, mid-1950s. He was the chaplain of the Senate. And he said this, To be sure, men will abuse and misuse the institution of the state just as man, because of sin, has abused and misused every other institution in history, including the Church of Jesus Christ. But this does not mean that the institution is bad or that it should be forsaken. It simply means that men are sinners and rebels in God's world, and this is the way they behave with good institutions. As a matter of fact, it's because of this very sin that there must be human government to maintain order in history until the final and ultimate rule of Jesus Christ. For human government is better than anarchy. So sin has not only affected the world that we live in and the government, it's affected the church. So these institutions, God formed the institution of government, God formed the institution of the church, and those institutions are amazing until sinful people get involved, and then we mess it up. So God takes the institution, he forms it, and then we get involved and we mess the institution up. So what I want us to do today is understand is that human government was never meant to be, nor can it ever be substituted or trusted in as God. We can't put our trust in human government to do what God himself has said he will do. So I want us to dive in this morning and look at our responsibility. And I, I, I hate to say this, but if, if you find this already tough so far, it's only going to get tougher. So um, I love you. And we will make it through. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Romans 13, 1 through 7 together. And Paul writes these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Father, after finishing reading these seven verses, Lord, the reality of many of us, Lord, in our flesh is, Lord, we don't want to hear this, or we wonder, God, what this means for us in the world in which we live in, and it's a scary idea. But today, Father, help us to clearly, by your Spirit, through your Word, to see what it is you have for us as citizens of your kingdom in this world that you have temporarily placed us in. And help us, Father, to, to seek to live in a way that brings glory to you while we're here. Lord, just finish this time. Speak, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be 
see this. So it is certainly clear, according to what Paul wrote here, that the powers that be are ordained by God. So that doesn't mean that God approves every um, authority or every government. It doesn't mean that God endorses everything that they do. We certainly know that isn't the case. But ultimately what Paul is saying is that it is God who brings governments, God who brings their leaders to pass. And not just some of them, but all of them. So I want us to unpack this morning three truths related to God, government, and our responsibility. And let me just say from the beginning, I had a hard time with the, the font today, with that, uh, the image that's up there. So if you need to just step up here and come close and write it down, you can do that. We'll ignore you unless you get too close to me, then I'll stop and I'll wait for you to get back to your seat. Anyway, with that said, let's unpack these three truths together. First, government is a gracious gift from God to the world. Let me say it again because I know some of you just think, in your mind, Micah, you are crazy. But let me say it again. Government is a gracious gift from God to the world. And in case you're saying, Micah, you're crazy, let me say God's word said it first. What we just read in verse 1, let every person, so what does every person mean? Okay, so that means you and myself. Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God institutes the governing authorities. In the word of Pastor John Piper, he says, This means that for Roman Christians and for us, we should learn that it is God's will to govern the world of mankind through human civil governments. He said, Man did not create government. God did. Man does not sustain government. God does. Civil authority is God's idea in this age. Therefore, according to the God's word, according to the word of God, all governing authority has been instituted by God because, hear this, it's good for us. It's good for us. What a tidal wave of evil would break out across this world if there were not civil authorities um, over us for restraint, even bad civil authorities. And this is where we see that God has instituted all governments, even the bad ones, whether we live in America or Afghanistan or Cuba or China or North um, Korea. These truths include bad governments because the Bible tells us that God put bad kings into office. Think about King Jeroboam. He was a wicked king who led the people of Israel to sin and even led the northern kingdom and southern kingdom of Israel to be split. And yet 1 Kings 12, 15 says that his reign was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord. All the evil he caused, and yet the Bible says it was God's doing. God put him in office. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan Babylonian king that destroyed Jerusalem, that destroyed the temple, that took the people of Israel and, and spread them out and brought them to Babylon as Slaves and, and, and servants. Yet in Jeremiah 27, 6, the Lord calls Nebuchadnezzar, hear this, my servant. My servant. Think about Pilate, the Roman governor that allowed Jesus to be crucified. They had a, Jesus and Pilate had an interesting exchange in John 19 where Pilate says, don't you understand that I have authority over you? And Jesus says in verse 11, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. 
So Jesus looks at the one who he gave authority to, and he says, your authority has been given to you because God has done it. So all leaders, all authorities are under the control of God. God put them in office, and bless God, he can take them out of office. Yet the big question for many in this room is this. How can we honor a political leader when we don't approve of him or her or when we don't endorse what they stand for? So how can we honor them when we don't like them or don't endorse the things they stand for? And this is where we need to remember that Paul was not writing in a perfect political climate. Paul would not have approved of or Paul would not have endorsed the vast majority of the governing leaders of his day. If there had been free elections, Paul probably would not have voted for any of the leaders that ruled in his day. Let me just recap real quick the Roman leaders during this time. They were all referred to as Caesar. And at one point in history, um, it was considered, Caesar was considered to be a god who had to be not just respected but worshipped. So in order to actually have rights in Rome, you had to declare Caesar is God. And in declaring that, you would be given rights to be a citizen in Rome. Not declare that means those rights were withheld from you or taken away from you. First, we have Caligula, who was one of the Caesars around this time. And not only was he unfit to care for a plant, he was definitely unfit to rule an empire. He had his mom and brother killed to make sure they never would challenge his um, authority or his right to the throne. He openly committed incest with three of his sisters. He would frequently cross-dress and go out in public. He even installed, hear this, his favorite horse as a senator and then promoted that horse to council. Now, some of you are thinking, I can't even get a promotion to my job, and the horse is getting a promotion. What in the world is happening here? Caligula once got mad at the weather and declared war on Neptune, the Roman god of the sea. He ordered his soldiers from the Roman army to whip the waves and bring home seashells like plunder from Neptune's domain. Often during gladiator games, which were cruel enough, Caligula would pick out people from the audience and actually throw them into the arena to be attacked and killed by wild animals just to entertain himself. And yet I'm telling you that this guy's a gift. After Caligula came Claudius, who wasn't probably as crazy, but he was still as cruel. He then handed over the throne to Nero. When I say handed over, I mean Nero's mom killed him so that Nero could reign. And Nero, of course, turned out to be one of the cruelest, most sadistic Christian killers of all time. He intentionally set fire to Rome. At least that is believe what he did. And then he stood on the balcony and played his harp like he was some kind of a, a sad poet. And when people began to point the finger at him, who did he blame? Christians. The Christians did it. And not only did he blame Christians, he then went after Christians and began to crucify them and do wicked, cruel things. Even one time at a party, he took Christians and had them covered with wax, tied them to posts, um, and set them on fire in order to light his courtyard while he had a party. Just imagine this. Another time, he got mad at his pregnant wife. He kicked her to death. He felt bad about it. So later, he found a young boy who looked like his wife, had that young boy castrated, married him, and called him by his wife's name. So into this world of crazy, ridiculous, and brutal, Paul says, be subject to the governing authorities and honor 
them. Like, what? And this is where we have to be so careful about saying, I can't honor a political leader I don't respect as a person. I can't honor someone who's crazy and ridiculous policies I don't approve of. And Paul says, God put Nero where he is, and I will subject myself to his authority. Even though Paul would later lose his life by the hands of Nero. So all governing authority is instituted by God, and it's also protected by God. So civil authority is God's chosen instrument to govern the world that we live in. God instituted it, he will protect it. Think about Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees come to Jesus in order to trap him, and they ask him a question that we're all familiar with. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus said, go get me a coin. He shows them the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? And they all say, Caesar's image is on the coin. So Jesus said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. The declaration Jesus was making is this money belongs to Caesar. But then the question becomes, well, then what belongs to God? So if the coin bears the image or the stamp of Caesar, guess what, brothers and sisters? We bear the stamp of God. Therefore, we belong to him. Caesar belongs to him. Everything that belongs to Caesar belongs to him. The entire state of every nation on the planet has its authority only under the authority of God. It's given by God, protected by God, and there are certain things today that we are not going to get into this morning i wish we had more time to get into more things or, or let me I'm, I'm lying i'm glad we don't have more time because uh, i don't want to get into a lot of these things to be honest with you but i pray that these truths won't be diminished but let me just make something very clear when i think about this pulpit where i stand today with my bible on it this is not a place for political opinions this is a place for supernatural declarations this is a place for God's word to be proclaimed. Not, you are not starving. The, the world around us is not starving for more of Micah's opinions. We're starving for the word of God, and we need it. So government, a gracious gift from God to the world, which leads us, secondly, to this. Number two, government helps to display the glory of God to the world. So government helps display the glory of God to the world. And I know for some of you this is beginning to sound really, really weird. Like you're thinking to yourself, Micah, just tell me that my political opinions are correct and let me leave, please. But that is not what I'm going to be doing this morning. Instead, we're going to focus on our behavior under government and the glory of God. And just think with me here. We submit to authority out of reverence to God. Because we have been called out of darkness into marvelous light, we want to do everything, even respond to the government for the glory of God. We want to live in everything that we do, make every decision for God's glory. Therefore, look at verse 7 again, or on the screen. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We can go on. Speed limits to whom speed limits are owed. Some of you can say amen or ouch to that one. Sun passes to whom sun passes are owed. Building permits to where they are owed. We can continue to go and, and, and say things like this. We will keep our seat belts fastened. We will keep our tags up to date. We will keep our consciences clear all for the glory of God. God. And we submit to the government, not for the government's sake, we submit to the government for God's sake. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.14, listen to what Peter says, or 2.13, be subject 
for the sake of the Lord to every human institution. For God's sake. Not for the government's sake, not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake. And we're not submitting because any authority has claim over us. We're submitting because God has claim over us. And let me pause and say something and hit some of you where I know your minds are going right now. Some of you, maybe a few of you are thinking, Mike, you're talking about submitting to the government. What about a government that's requiring me to get a vaccine that I don't want to get? What do I do with that? Where do I go there? And I know others of you are saying, praise God, it's about time everybody's going to be required to to get a a vaccine. And remember what I just said, this isn't a place of opinions. So I'm going to be very, very careful here. But be careful, brothers and sisters, about rejoicing in a government having authority over um, all of the, the all of its citizens, and that authority could eventually come into the church where the, the government tries to tell us what to do. Be careful about rejoicing and celebrating. Let me say this. Paul gives an amazing word at the very end of verse 5 that I would say to you today. If you're struggling with this, Paul says, for the sake of conscience. For the sake of conscience. If you can get a vaccine with a clear conscience, then by all means do it. If you can't um, with a clear conscience, then don't do it. But understand this, if you don't do it, then the government has a right to punish. It's what the government's doing. Now also understand this, praise be to God, we do live in a world, and a, a nation that has a constitution that gives us rights. May we use those rights for the glory of God as long as we have them. So use them as long as we have them to, to speak up against that which isn't right and isn't true, to use those amazing rights that we have for the glory of God. So may our consciences be clear. And I I wish I could, again, for the sake of not getting into my opinion, I'm not going to try to go there. But I want to encourage us to live for the sake of our consciences clear in the presence of God, doing what he has called us to do. And in doing so, we, we recognize that civil authority doesn't always reward what's good and punish what's evil. Sometimes civil authority rewards what's bad and punishes what's good. And so Paul is talking here, especially when we get into verse 2 and on, Paul's saying authorities exist to do good for those who do good and do bad for those who don't do bad. And what Paul, Paul isn't lying here, even though that wasn't true even in Paul's day. Nero didn't do good to Paul, even though Paul didn't ever do bad to Nero, other than say, I'm going to obey God and not you. But what Paul is doing is Paul is writing here knowing that someone in, in Nero's council is going to get a hold of this letter, and they're going to bring it to Nero. And when they read it in Nero, Paul wants them to know, Paul wants Nero to know, Paul's saying, I've got no wrong with you. I will respect you. But Paul also says, but this is what God has called you to do. This is how God has called you to respond. Paul wanted Nero to hear that. You have a responsibility before God who gave you this authority and this way. And let me just say this this morning, and please keep following There will be times in this backwards, messed up, sinful world where our submission to the government must have limits, which means we submit to the authority out of reverence to God, but we also must resist authority because of obedience to God. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story told of Peter and John who are commanded by the officials not to preach in the name of Jesus. Well, guess what they do? They go right out and begin to preach in the name of Jesus. They're arrested, they're brought before the council, and the council said, did we not tell you not to preach in the name of Jesus? So what are you doing? And Peter stands up, 
And in verse 29, Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. Millions of Christians in history, and even many around the world today, have lived and are living under civil authorities that forbid them to do what the Bible um, rejects, or what the, excuse me, what the Bible commands, or they command them to do what the Bible forbids. And let me be very clear today. When it comes to what the Bible shows and what the Bible commands, if a law in our society commands us to do what the Bible forbids or forbids us to do what the Bible commands, then we must obey God. We must obey God. We must choose him. We must choose his word, his ways. Brothers and sisters, here's the reality again. Either either my hope and my trust is in something 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or something going on in Congress or something going on in government, or my hope is this. Either my trust is in what man's words are saying or my trust is in what God's word declares and what he says. As for me, I will choose to obey the Lord. Let me give you a few biblical examples. In Daniel 6, Daniel was told, as well as the people in Babylon, you are forbidden to pray to God. So what does Daniel do? Well, Daniel was used to three times a day. He would go and he would pray in his house with the, the windows open, looking towards Jerusalem. So this command was given. Guess what Daniel does? Exactly what he did the day before. He went, he opened his window, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. I think of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to bow down and worship an idol. And they said, we will not bow down. We will not worship any god but God alone. And they were thrown in a fiery furnace, but praise God, they weren't alone. There was a fourth in the furnace with them. I think about Exodus 1, the Hebrew midwives who were commanded by Pharaoh to kill all male babies born from an Israelite. And praise God, these midwives said, we will not, we cannot do this. And as we just read in Acts 5, Peter and John commanded to stop preaching the gospel, and they said, we will obey God rather than man. And the point is clear. When a secular government tries to force people of God by law or by threat to be disobedient, our biblical response is we must obey God. We must obey God. So we submit, and God leading, we resist for the glory of God. And think about this. When it comes to the laws of man, and when it comes to the glory of God, only one will last forever. The laws of man will be burned up in all the books, and the glory of God will last forever. In the words of John Piper, he says, The danger of our soul from unjust governments is nowhere near as great as the danger of our soul from the pride that kicks against submission. No mistreatment or unjust law has ever sent anyone to hell, but pride and rebellion is what sends everyone to hell who doesn't have a Savior. So no matter who our leaders might be or what punishments might, they, they might render, their power can't compare to the power of God, nor can their punishment compare to the punishment that God will bring to those who reject Him. And I think the last point helps drive home what I have been saying, and that is this. Government is excluded by God as the hope of the world. We live in a world that's convinced that this government is made to help us in whatever way to get to wherever we need to go, and we trust in it. 
somewhere along the way, the church stopped doing what God called them to do because the church said, we're just going to vote good people who make good promises to us, and they're going to change the world. And so the church is set back. They've cast their ballot, and guess what? Things got worse and worse and worse. And the church just sat back and watched it. Not doing what God has called us to do all along. To be light and to be salt in the midst of this world. But we have to understand, brothers and sisters, government is not the hope of the world. Think about Psalm 146. You see it on the screen. Put not your trust in princesses. We can say any elected leaders, any leaders at all, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. So don't put your trust in a person because there's not salvation there. Psalm 118. Verse 8, it's said to be, if you were to add up all the verses in Scripture, divide by two, the central verse in all the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8, that says, it is better to put your trust in God than to put your trust in man. What a reminder. The center of all the Bible tells us, don't trust in man, trust in God. And there's a reality that we need to grasp. Our hope can never be in government. Our trust can't be in government. And those who, there are some in this room who have seen the desperation of the world around us. And those who have seen the desperation of the world around us will grasp what I'm about to say. We in our country have operated in a type of liberty that is so excessive that we take it for granted so often. Like The liberty that we have in our country is so excessive that we take it for granted. We seldom understand the absence of freedom around the world. We seldom understand what Brothers and sisters in other contexts and other places don't have. They don't even have the right to do what we're doing right now together in freedom. But with that said, let me also say this, and maybe I'm just determined to get myself in trouble. And if I am, then so be it. And I've said this before in, in this same topic, and I'll say it again. I love this country. I love living in this country. I am so thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. I am so thankful for the men, men and women who gave their lives to earn the freedoms that we enjoy. I'm so thankful for the men and women who um, gave ultimately and sacrificially for the sake of the freedoms that we have. I, I'm so thankful for the men and women who continue to serve and protect the freedoms that we have. I am thankful. I'm thankful for the United States of America. But, and you knew a but was coming. I cannot put my trust and my hope for salvation in the United States of America. I cannot do it. I cannot put my trust here. cannot put my trust in the Declaration or in the Constitution. And that sounds crazy to so many Americans. Because we think, well, we're the center. Like, we're all of it. Like, most people in their minds think that God created heaven. Many Americans in their minds think God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. And then God said, you think this is something? Wait until 1776. Just wait until 70. The best is yet to come. And some people think that God has like an American flag in his office in heaven. And he has July 4th, 1776 highlighted on his calendar. Maybe even tattooed upon him. Everybody who enters heaven has to get a tattoo of an American flag of July 4th, 1776 on them in order to enter the kingdom of God. And we have this messed up view of our country. In fact, let me go a step further. The epicenter of all that God wants to do in this world does not sit at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. 
The epicenter of everything God wants to do sits on a throne in heaven, and that throne is occupied. That throne is occupied. And granted, again, I know this might not be popular, but the gospel compels me to challenge our views of the country that we live in. So if the United States is not the hope of the world, then what is? And I'm so glad you asked that question. Because this is where we begin to see that the hope of the world, we can answer this not with a political opinion. We can answer this with joy and hope and confidence that the resurrect or the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the epicenter. It is the center of all of God's work in this world for this world. Meaning that before the cross, everything looked forward to it. After the cross, we look back to it. And the center of it all is Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Which means for us, and this is a great way to end, our hope will forever be found in him. Our hope forever found in him. What a great way to end our time together. Government is not the hope of the world. America is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. Listen, we don't go out and say, if only you would invite America into your heart, you will be saved. We don't say, hey, if you will bow your knee and trust Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whoever else, you will be saved. That is not our declaration. Our declaration is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Aren't we thankful for that? Yet, as I said at the beginning, it seems like when we look at the nation we live in, it seems like the fabric is unraveling. It seems like the ceiling is falling. It seems like the foundation is, is cracking. Unity, for unity's sake, has failed because we tried to find unity apart from Jesus Christ. Yet the Word of God tells us that we as Christians, we're not unraveling because in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is holding us together. He's keeping us from unraveling. In fact, those who are in Christ, the roof ceiling is not falling because Christ's ceiling has no end. And the foundation isn't cracking because he's an uncrackable foundation that we can build our lives upon. Therefore, we're not trusting in man. We're trusting in him. And ultimately, our hope is in one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about this. Ultimately, in the world that we live in, the world that we live in is not a democracy. The world that we live in is a monarchy. And Jesus is our king. And there will come a day where our king will return to this earth. And every wrong he will make right. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever. Therefore, we gladly submit to that. We gladly trust that. We gladly hope in that. But during this time, we do, in a godly way, submit to the government ordained by him because we trust in him and we want to glorify him. Let me end with one declaration I'm going to put on the screen today. I want you to see it. It says this, and just read along with me. We must submit to human authority because of a higher authority. Government is not God. God is God. We do not worship government. We worship God. Government is a gift from God, but it is not God. We will give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and we will give to God what belongs to God. And just so it's clear, Caesar belongs to God. And just to make it even clearer, so do you, and so do I. Which begs this ending. When you think about all the things that God has given us, I want to close by asking, what have you given him? 
Have you given God what belongs to him? Meaning, have you given God yourself? Your, or his image is on you already. You've made in the image of God, but have you given him what's his? If not, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day that he is most glorified in you because of the salvation that he desires to give to you. Again, I am so thankful that the Bible tells us that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. We're going to ask the band to come forward, and we're going to pray and enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray. Father, we, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. We rejoice that you are the hope of the world. We rejoice, God, that Lord, ultimately you will rule and you will reign and you will make every wrong right. And we can trust you now and we will trust you forever. Lord, help us. Give us, Lord, clear consciences. Give us wisdom to navigate in the midst of the world that we are living in. Lord, we pray as we think about, Lord, your word tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, that we are to pray for leaders. We're to pray for our leaders. Meaning, God, that instead of talking bad about our leaders to everybody else, we, we should be praying for our leaders to you. Ultimately, God, asking you that if they don't know you, God, save them. Save them, God. Bless them with the knowledge of you. Bless them with joy and wisdom and truth and light that can only come from you and through you. But ultimately, God, regardless of what any leader might tell us, May we never trust that individual. May our trust be you. For you, in the, in the words of the, the hymn, Victory in Jesus, Lord Jesus, you are our Savior forever. Father, I pray for any in this room or any watching online that has never trusted you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would give you what already belongs to you, their lives. Lord, just finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.